Well, again, welcome to our Christmas Eve family gathering. My name's Eric. For those of you who are visiting, I get to pastor here at the downtown campus of Bethel Bible Church, and we've made it into the heart of the Advent season. I hope and trust and pray that it has been a warm, wonderful time for you and your family and for those of you for whom that is not the case. I want you to know that we love you. We are here with you as family. We're for you. But I'm glad that we are gathered here all together. For the last month or so here at Bethel, we've been talking through the Advent season about the coming of Christ. And we've been calling this discussion, this this sermon series, Experiencing Emmanuel. How did different people experience, receive the coming of Christ, and then how did they react and respond? We're going to continue that this evening, but just very, very briefly, because it's Christmas Eve, and it's a wonderful time, particularly for the young children who are wondering still, why did I have to come to church? It's Christmas. I understand. It is the most wonderful time of the year. It is to be the most wonder-filled time of the year. But for many of us, the older we get and the more times we experience Advent and Christmas, the least or the less wonder-filled we are. But what if the things that we claim to be true at Christmas really were true? When was the last time you actually were able to pause and to ponder? What if the things that we claim at Christmas were actually true? Because what we believe to be true makes us who we are. What do we really believe? I'm always reminded about this time of year, that wonderful story from C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia in Prince Caspian. When Lucy finally gets to go back into Narnia and she encounters Aslan, the lion, who is very much the Christ figure, and he's enormous. He's absolutely huge. And she exclaims, Aslan, you've grown so much larger. And he says, no, my child, I have not. It is because you are older. And she says, are you not as well? He said, no, I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. And so every Advent season, as we gather as families, as we gather as households, as we gather as friends, as we gather as a church, it is an opportunity to intentionally look forward to next Christmas should the Lord tarry and grow in our wonder. And Christ will be larger than ever. We've looked at several different gospel accounts of the coming of Christ in the gospel of Luke and in the gospel of Matthew. But this evening, very briefly, I want us to pivot and I want us to go to the gospel of John. The gospel of John is unlike any of the other four gospels. The gospel of John doesn't really give us a birth narrative. The gospel of John is trying to gobsmack us with wonder. The opening verses of the gospel of John were almost certainly written after he had written the actual gospel. He goes back and he adds a prologue. It's like he writes his gospel, and then he realizes that that's not enough punch. As punchy as it is, it needs like a nuclear explosion at the beginning so that it will continue to radiate and fill the reader with awe and wonder all year long. So I'm going to read this just very briefly, beginning in John chapter 1 and verse 1. John writes this in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, that's the way John starts off his gospel. 
It's about Advent, do you see? It's about the coming of Christ. Why does John say, in the beginning was the word? It's a technical term. And it's a time for us at Christmas to fall all over in amazement again. In Greek philosophy, to whom John is writing, the logos was that force of the cosmos, that force of the universe. Now, sometimes it's easier for the young people in the room, for the children, to actually understand a little bit more vibrantly what I'm saying. I want you to imagine the universe and how much gravity exists in the universe. Well, that would be a lot. How much gravity holds all the galaxies and solar systems together and moves them around? How much gravity is there in the universe? How much light is there in the universe? How much heat is there in the universe? All those things together were the logos. And what John says is that logos, that force, has always existed forever and always. And it was pros theos. It was toward God. There's a distinct personality. It's not just the force. It's a person. So I want you to imagine all of the gravity in the universe, all of the light and the heat in the universe, all of that bundled together, and it walks right through those doors. In a person, John says, in the beginning it was him. All power, all mass, light, force, heat, gravity, it's him. And he became a person. And he dwelt among us is what he's going to continue to say. He was in the beginning with God or toward God, inclined to God because he's a separate person, although he is God, we'll find out. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. This one who is the Logos is also the creator. And so John very intentionally starts his Advent narrative with a connection back to creation. In the beginning, God said, let there be. And the one who actually said the words was this one who is the Logos. Verse four, in him was life. Not just the way to get life. He is the very fount, the wellspring of life itself. And the life was the light of men. John is writing at a time when light was very fragile. Darkness was very common. If someone happened to open a door and it was windy outside, one little puff of air and the light was extinguished. But John is saying now that Christ has come, the darkness has been blown out with a puff. The single simple coming of Christ blew out the darkness, extinguished death forever. Now at Christmas, we could worry about the weather and politics and finances and relationships, or we could be gobsmacked and awestruck all over again at what John is saying. No amount of darkness in the universe can extinguish a single matchstick. Light overcomes. And John is telling us, no longer do we have to be afraid of the dark. Dark is the absence of light, but light has come. And in this light is life itself, the wellspring and the fount of that which lives. It's him. It's a person. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Oh, it might look dark at times, but light shines forth. Light always pierces and penetrates. There was a man sent from God. He's talking about John the Baptist. Verse 7. 
He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone who was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him, which is the reason why many people don't actually enjoy a very Merry Christmas. They don't know the one who was creator but who is incarnate. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But, verse 12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave the authority so that they would be numbered as sons and daughters of God Most High. I like to say this at my house when my sons come home. They charge right into the kitchen. They don't say hello. They don't say I love you. They go right to the refrigerator and they throw it open and they go through it like locust on a wheat field because they have refrigerator rights. What God is saying is in Christ, each of us actually has refrigerator rights with God most high. That's what he's saying. There's a picture of you on God's refrigerator because of Christmas, do you see? And you have the capacity to have thrown open the doors of the floodgates of the bounty and the blessing of God who loves you, sees you, knows you, and is for you. That's what Christ accomplished at Advent. Verse 13. These children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In the same way that when God said in the creation narrative of Genesis 1, let there be light, In the same way that light did not argue, when God found you and he said, let there be life, the same kind of redemptive recreation occurred. This is why John, the gospel writer, also writes the book of Revelation. And in chapter four, we see the creation hymn. Well, all the heavenly hosts are praising God for his glory and his power in creation. But then in chapter five, they change songs. They sing a new song. And it's all about redemption. It's all about the gospel. It is all about a redemptive recreation where God hovers over the void and the chaos of an individual life and he speaks into it, let there be life, let there be light, let there be order, purpose, peace, blessing, and joy. That is the work that we see and we are reminded of every Advent season. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Literally, he tabernacled. He tented among us. All of that power, light, heat, gravity, force, matter became a person and walked around as a person, as a human. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John saying, I'm not making this up. This is not a myth. This is not a legend. It's true. John the Baptist bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. John the Baptist was actually older than Jesus by about five or six months. But Jesus comes before because he is eternally existing. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. He just keeps giving us what we don't deserve despite our being leaky vessels and our awe tends to drip and leak He continues to give us grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. 
the only God who is at the Father's side, he, Jesus, has made him, God, known. John says quite literally, Jesus is the exegesis. He's the revealer. He shows us what God is actually like. So what is the gift I can give you at Christmas? Well, not a whole lot of neat gadgetry, not any sort of free subscription. I'm not going to share my Netflix password with anyone else. I'm sorry. But what I can give you is the truth of Scripture that piercingly penetrates every single human heart. This is the message of hope that we celebrate and commemorate at Christmas. There are five fundamental questions that every human being at some level has asked, whether they are a thousand years ago or they are a thousand feet away. At some level, every single human being has to argue with these five fundamental questions. And the Gospel of John, verses 1 to 18, answers them emphatically. Let me give you these as a gift for this Christmas season. The first question goes like this. What is God really like? What is God really like? Short answer, Jesus. Is God distracted? Is he disinterested? Is he cranky? Is he fussy? Is he cantankerous? Does he sometimes just toss down lightning bolts to zap me when I do something wrong? No, that's a cartoon and those aren't real. What is God like? He's like Jesus. Read the gospel accounts about his life about the way he engages with people, how he loves people, how he leads people, how he guides and guards people. That is what our God is like. The word became flesh. The incarnation of Christ lifts the veil of people's uncertainty about God. All that we need God to be is true in Christ. I want you to hear that again. At some level of your soul, everything that you need God to be is true in Christ. This is revelation at its clearest. Second question, does God really understand the human struggle? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And more than we do, quite actually. Things might be hard. God knows it in Christ more particularly. Hebrews said he's tested and tempted just as we were, except he's not like us because he never gave in. None of us actually knows how strong temptation can be because we usually give in. Me quickest of all. But Jesus actually knows God understands the human struggle. He identifies as one of us in Christ. It's a marvelous thing. It's an old expression. Many men have sought to be God. Only God, only our true God has ever sought to become man. And he's done so in Christ. Third question, does God really care? Yes, there's quite literally nothing more God could have done than to send his son to become for us all of our failure, all of our darkness, all of our depravity, all of our death. He became all of it. The fact that he became flesh answers that question. Does he really care? Yes, we are reconciled through the incarnate one who was full of grace and truth. Fourth question, does life really matter? Does my life really matter? Yes, absolutely. John answered the question. The word became flesh. The incarnation is the supreme affirmation of human existence. God did not become any other being or creature. In Christ, he became human. He loves you. He's not just tolerating you. He's not just saying, yeah, that's good enough for now. He's 
crazy about you, so much so that he sent his own son, the eternally sendable self of the Godhead. He sent him to become and experience what we come and experience. J.I. Packer said it this way, our human life truly was the vehicle for God's life. Our flesh contained the word and our humanity was home for him who is forever. Fifth question, what is life ultimately for? Glory. All of us come into this world at some level glory-hungry humans. But God in Christ has given us the full glory of the Godhead to enjoy and experience forever. John says, the word became flesh and we beheld his glory. The greatness of this doctrine should stagger our imagination and ought to drive us to our knees in worship, just like we sang in O Holy Night, fall on your knees and worship. God has given us himself. We've been saying this all Advent season. God is with us. He is, from Isaiah 7, 14, the with us God. He is the logos of God. He is the word in Hebrew, dabar Yahweh. In other words, it is impossible to know God apart from Christ because he is the expression of God. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, the central miracle asserted by Christians is the incarnation. They say that God became man. Every other miracle prepares us for this or exhibits this or results from this. We are to think rightly about this Jesus, especially in a culture that is spinning so many other legends and tales about this season and this person. I always like to wear green and red at Christmas. Not just because of the feel and the tradition of green and red at Christmas, not just because they're opposites on the color wheel, but you didn't know that. I didn't know that either. I had to look it up. It's true. But for 2,000 years, the church has commemorated the coming of Christ with green and red. Green, the redemptive recreation of new life, the beginning again of Eden, in a sense, and the red. It didn't come cheap. It cost him his very life. There was death. So I want you to more fully appreciate and recognize and immerse in the colors of Christmas. St. Augustine put it this way. Man's maker was made man, that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse as a helpless child, that the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey, that truth might be accused of false witnesses, the teacher be beaten with whips, the foundation be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. This Christmas, I encourage you and invite you to experience Emmanuel all over again. He is the word. Hear from him. He is the light. See him in Christ. He is the life. Experience him. He is the son. This is how we rightly relate to God. And so my prayer for my family, my prayer for my family, is that every year Hence, we will grow and we will find Christ bigger. May we grow this Christmas and may there be joy to the world. Let me pray for us. Father, we do thank you for getting to experience Emmanuel together at Christmas. Thank you for first Advent as we eagerly await second Advent and the again coming of Christ. 
Father, we do pray for those in our midst or watching remotely or who are present, who are grieving, who are going through a Christmas season perhaps for the first time without someone they love, someone they were in deep relationship with. Would you comfort? You are the God of all comfort. You know our struggle. You know our pain. Lord Jesus, you entered into our hurt and to our harm. And so we do pray, Father, for peace, for joy, for hope, and for love. May there be light that shines in darkness. May life spring from death. Thank you for Christmas, Lord. Thank you for your son, Jesus. We pray all these things in the power of your spirit and in the name of Jesus. Amen.